If you look at the front of your bulletin, you notice that right underneath the words, Welcome to Cedar Home Baptist Church, it's our, pur- our church purpose statement. And it says, Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship and community and service and multiplication. And over the past few months, the leadership has, has tried to make a more concerted effort at keeping this purpose statement in front of all of us. That's kind of one of the reasons we redid our bulletin. Because a statement like this helps us remember why our church exists and it helps us discern which ministries and activities we want to do in alignment with our purposes. And a statement like this helps us determine the direction we want to go as a church. And in reality, a church's purpose statement is only God-honoring if that statement simply restates what God's purpose is for the church. And so this morning, as we jump back into the book of Acts, we're going to take a look at the purposes and practices of the early church. What were these people doing 2,000 years ago, right after Jesus resurrected uh, and ascended into heaven? as it was led by the apostles and the Holy Spirit. And so if you got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Acts 2.42. If you're new with us, Acts is a book in the New Testament, which means it's, it's closer to the back of your Bible. And if, if you're not familiar with your Bible, it should have a table of contents in the front, which will list the books of the Bible and tell you the page number. And we are in the second chapter of Acts. And we're going to start at verse 42. As you're doing that, let me kind of give you a little context because it has been a few weeks since we've met. Um, in the first few chapters of Acts so far, uh, we have seen uh, the resurrected Jesus tell his followers to be his witnesses to the world. And then we saw Jesus was raised into heaven to the right hand of God the Father. Uh, we've seen the apostles who were the, tw- the 12, right, originally, minus Judas plus Matthias. We, we've seen the apostles and the early church devote themselves to praying together. Uh, we've seen the Holy Spirit descend from heaven onto the Christians, and he filled them with power to share the good news of Jesus in foreign tongues in Jerusalem to the Jewish travelers who had come there from all over the world. And after that, the apostle Peter preached the first sermon in public about the gospel. And we see that the Holy Spirit was working through his words and in the hearts of people. And he was convicting them of their need for a savior, of of their need for forgiveness for their sin. And and then we read that about 3,000 people trusted in Jesus that day alone, and they were baptized, it says, in his name. And now we're going to take a look again at at this first group of Christians. We're going to see what did they devote themselves to. And uh, before I read this passage aloud, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for your plans for us. Even if they're not always what we want, we know that you are good and you love us and your plans are perfect. Please help us to trust you. As we open your word, we ask you that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, not just with our minds, but teach our hearts, please. And teach our hearts in a way that we're transformed by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we come here believing that you, you, Lord, appointed this passage for this day. And we humbly ask you to do your will with it, uh, with, with, uh, among us with your word. And uh, just, Lord, please bring our thoughts and our desires and our actions into conformity with you, with your will for us. Please strengthen and encourage all of us today. Uh, please protect us from evil. And please bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As I read this passage, what I want you to do is I want you to look for elements in it that are also reflected in our church purpose statement. So what I'll do is I'll read Acts 2, 42 to 47, and then today we're going to kind of camp out on Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'll read Acts 2.42 one more time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this large church of new Christians, right? Most of these people were new Christians. This church was not wandering around aimlessly, wondering what to do. They had a mission. They had purpose, and they were united is what we see. They, they were in agreement with one another. They have one accord about what they should be doing. And that's why it says that as one church, they devoted themselves to specific activities that helped them to grow in their love for God and in their love for one another and in their love for, um, for those who don't love God, for non-Christians. And Acts chapter 1 says that these Christians were devoted to praying together. That's a word we see a lot, devoted here, okay? And that word devoted means to persist in something, to keep persisting in it. To, uh, another definition is to, uh, to steadfastly continue in something. And in addition to prayer, Luke lists several other things that the church devoted itself to, like the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread together, and to the prayers, and to sacrificial giving. And what we see in the lives of these first Christians is that gospel-centered life together was not a two-Sunday-a-month commitment. It was not a one-hour-a-week activity. It says that this type of Christian community that the first Christians devoted themselves to under the leadership of the apostles was a daily commitment not only to the Lord, but also to one another. And, and this morning, I want to look at what it means that the early church was, was devoted to the apostles' teaching. And in the following Sundays, we'll look uh, in God's timing at the early church's devotion to the fellowship and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread and to sacrificial giving. But also what I want to do is I'm really trying to make this practical for you and me. I want to ask why these things are necessary for you and me today if we're Christians. And what obstacles might hinder us from doing these things today? Have you ever hung around a brand new Christian? It, if you haven't done that, you need to do that because it's fun. Uh, most of the time, a brand new Christian is excited about everything related to God. Uh, he or she is excited about talking to God and prayer. He or she is eager to go tell his or her family and friends and peers the good news of Jesus. And he or she devours the Bible, 
Um, the new Christian wants to read the Bible, to study it, to hear it preached, to understand it, to, to obey it, to do what it says to do. And, and this is what was happening here in Acts 2.42. The Christians were hungry, okay? They're hungry for the apostles' teaching. And it was not a momentary enthusiasm for God's word that they would grow out of. It says here they devoted themselves to this, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The teaching of the apostles was a trademark of life together for the first Christians. So what exactly did the apostles teach? Well, remember that at this point in history, these apostles had not yet written the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, Much of this early teaching that they began to do in Jerusalem is what they would later write down under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to, to form what we know as the New Testament of the Bible. And as we already saw Peter do, the apostles were likely walking these mostly Jewish Christians through the Old Testament scriptures and showing them how those scriptures, which they'd had for thousands of years, pointed to Jesus and were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In addition to that, uh, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the apostles what to teach the church. Remember Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, uh, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus told the apostles here to teach future disciples, including all of us in here, to obey or to observe everything that he had commanded them. And so in today's passage, the apostles' teaching was Jesus' teaching, which the apostles remembered and taught by the power of the Holy Spirit. At at Jesus' last supper, he promised these apostles that when the Holy Spirit Uh, came upon them, he would cause them to remember everything that Jesus had taught them so that they could then pass it on to others. Uh, We're not going to put this verse on the screen, but I want you to listen to what Jesus told the apostles in John 14, 25 to 26. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, really, for us in this room, we can only imagine how radical some of the teaching must have sounded to these new Christians. Uh, Jesus' teaching in the Bible, the Bible's teaching doesn't sound incredible to many of us today because many of us have either grown up in the church or we have grown up in a somewhat Christian society But the apostles' teaching, which was the teaching of Jesus, was groundbreaking because the message of eternal life in Jesus, the message of God's salvation in Jesus, was not tied to any one people group's culture or traditions. Hear that? Even though most of these first Christians were ethnic Jews, the gospel that they were adopting was this message, gospel means good news, that they were adopting was that God's salvation is open to all of the world and you don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And it took the early Christians several decades to work out together 
what that looked like in practical ways. And we see in Acts 15 and Galatians and elsewhere in the New Testament, this is what they were working through. And actually, it's really interesting. The same conversation is taking place today. As Christians from around the globe take the gospel to unreached people groups and cultures, missionaries and missionary agencies continue to wrestle with this question. How much of a new Christian's native culture can he or she hold on to and still be a Christian? Uh, Which part of a person's culture should be rejected altogether and which parts can be redeemed and used for God's glory and used for outreach? It's a really interesting conversation, especially in the Muslim world, and uh, there are a lot of different opinions about it. But at the end of the day, the application for Christians in 2018 is that we must be devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word when we are together. That's the message of the Bible here. Our our devotion to God's word uh, must not only characterize and shape what we do here on Sunday mornings, but also whenever we're together. So that means in Sunday school and in community groups and at youth group on Thursdays and children's ministry and Bible studies that happen and one-on-one discipleship relationships and small groups. And when we're with our families, we must devote ourselves to the word of God and to its gospel of God's grace. So why? Why? Why must we do this? Why must we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Okay, let me give you four reasons. This is not exhaustive, but let me give you four reasons. First, because this is exactly what Jesus tells us to do, to preach the word in season and out of season, to meditate on God's word, to pass on this word to the people around us, to pass it on to future generations. And second, we must devote ourselves to solid Bible teaching because it's how we get to know God better. Okay? Learning the Bible is vital to a living friendship with God. You've got to learn who this God is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he wants from us, what he, uh, how he wants us to treat the people around us. And what tools he has given us to accomplish this in our lives because we can't do it in our own flesh, right? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the gospel. We need God's word. We need one another. And we learn these things when we are taught the word of God. Third, we must devote ourselves to Bible teaching because we desperately need it. We need it. Gospel preaching and teaching is a type of grace that God has given to us. It's a gift in order to nourish us, in order to strengthen us. Jesus said that man cannot live on bread alone, right? You can't live on bread alone. And in addition to our own study that we do in meditation on God's word, it is a blessing to be taught God's word by another Christian, And we all need it, including me. I've got to fill myself up with other preachers and other teachers during the week. We all need it. (laughs) It's a blessing to hear the gospel preached to us. The gospel isn't a message we just preach to non-Christians. It's a message we preach to ourselves and to one another every day. Because this reality, you and I, we got so many worries in our minds. We got so many hard situations we're dealing with. So many messages and lies that we're consuming through media, from Satan, from the world. We need to have time set apart to sit down, have God's word preached to 
to us and taught to us so that what we hear is God. We need to hear God. And the preaching and teaching of God's Word is a powerful tool that the Holy Spirit uses both to save non-Christians and at the same time He uses it to sanctify Christians, to make Christians the type of people God wants us to be as we rest in the gospel of grace. So Jesus said in John 17, He's praying to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I was reading this book uh, this week, and it said this, that at times the gospel in us isn't as strong as the gospel in other Christians. It's the same gospel in both of us, but sometimes we need to hear someone else speak the gospel to us. And I think that's true. Sometimes, here's an illustration. Sometimes your spouse might ask you for some advice on something, and you tell them what you think. And they hear you, but they don't really run with what you said. And then your spouse asks the exact same question to one of their friends. And their friend gives them the exact same answer that you gave, but it has a totally different effect on your spouse. And they say, oh, this makes so much sense now. I can't, I can't believe I've never heard advice like this before. Now, it's never happened to Cindy and me, okay? But I'm sure for some of you, maybe that's happened. Um, well, this is, the same thing is true for, for us and for the way that God works through preaching and teaching of his word. We need the gospel preached to us. We need people in the local church who have the gift of teaching including you guys, uh, who, if you have the gift of teaching, we need you to use your gift of teaching and preaching from the pulpit and in community groups and in various ministries and throughout the week. And the content of that teaching must be solid, orthodox teaching of the Bible. Orthodox, when I use that word, I mean traditional. I mean, we want to share the exact same message that the apostles were sharing. We don't want to come up with some teaching that they started teaching in the year 1000 or 1500 or 1800. We want orthodox. We want, we are not creators of the gospel. We're heralds of this message that's been given to us. Okay. And fourth, we must devote ourselves as a church to the teaching of God's words so that we stay aligned with God's truth. Uh, before the apostles even finished the letters that they would write in the New Testament, there were already a number of false gospels being preached in churches. Uh, we read in Galatians about the Judaizers who were teaching the church that Christians had to follow all of the Old Testament laws and holy days in order to be saved by Jesus, and Paul says that's nonsense. We read in Romans about the antinomians, anti means against, namas is the word for law, against the law. We read in Romans about antinomians who said that because all you have to do is to go to heaven is to trust in Jesus, then just pray the prayer, accept Jesus, and then go live however you want to live. Don't worry about the law. Don't worry about any of God's commands. Just accept them into your heart and then run wild. Paul said that's nonsense. And uh, there was also a very popular and dangerous teaching <clears throat> called Gnosticism, which some of you probably heard about. And one of the components of that teaching was, was that all flesh is evil, and therefore Jesus' physical body must not have been real. It must have been an illusion. Therefore, they taught here in the first century that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. They were teaching this in churches. 
And that teaching flies in the face of the apostles' teaching that said that Jesus had to be fully God and he had to be fully man in order to atone for man's sin. And as a church, we must hold firmly to the Word of God as our sole authority of our beliefs. Uh, any group, here, hear me, any group of people that claims to be Christian but is not devoted to the apostles' teaching is not Christian. And it can get very confusing in our day and age because many people call themselves Christians, but they don't hold to the apostles' teaching. And they don't hold to the Bible. Um, Mormons call themselves Christians. That gets confusing. But they don't believe that Jesus is God. And if you press them, they'll tell you that. And like the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses work really hard to make disciples. You've got to give them credit for working hard. But the difference is they believe the salvation rests on their efforts to make disciples. And in addition to that, their theology is that Jesus was not the only God. He was one of many gods. And we don't, that's not the apostles' teaching. And you'll run into present-day Judaizers who believe that in order for God to save you, you must have faith in Jesus plus keep the Old Testament law. That's still going on there in our society. Now, hear me right, we need to and get to love and be kind to and pray for people who don't believe God's word and who don't hold to God's word. And at the same time, we can't compromise our faith in God and in God's word as perfect and gracious and completely authoritative for us. Uh, it seems that many people in our society, your coworkers, on the media, you hear it everywhere, uh, don't think it's possible to love others while fundamentally disagreeing with their beliefs. But God's word says it is possible, and that's exactly what Christians are supposed to do as we shine God's light and share his love in a dark world. And so as a local church, we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word because Jesus tells us to and because it's how we get to know him better and because our souls need biblical truth spoken to us and because we want to know the truth and not fall prey to false teaching. And those are really important reasons for us to devote ourselves to God's word when we're together. <clears throat> okay, next question. What then are some of the obstacles that might hinder us from doing this? From, from devoting ourselves as a church to the teaching of the Bible. Okay, again, not exhaustive, but let me give you four reasons. First, a church isn't going to devote itself to the teaching of God's word if the church doesn't believe God's word. Okay. A church will not make scripture central to its services and meetings if it does not believe that scripture is entirely true and trustworthy and it's the ultimate authority for our beliefs and practices. And sometimes it gets really tricky because you can look at a website and you read their statement of faith and obviously they love the word of God and so that must be what found the foundation of the whole church. But it, maybe it's not until you hang around a little bit and say, man, these people don't really love God's word. And so you got to be careful there. Second, a church isn't going to devote itself to the teaching of God's word if it believes the Bible is irrelevant or that it's boring. Uh, many churches take pride today in being progressive and unconventional, and their services and ministries pay very little attention to Scripture because they're not interested in Scripture. And the thought is, well, if our neighbors aren't in, in, interested in Scripture, we've got to cater to them. So let's give them less Scripture to try to build a connection with them. Uh, 
And that's not the game plan God gives us, okay? It is a lie to believe that scripture is irrelevant to any of us in 2018. The word of God, the good news of Jesus, this is what Jesus says about it. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. The need for people to be saved from their sin and from hell, the need for people to have their lives and eternities transformed by a God who loves them is the most relevant and important matter for any of us. Third, a church might not devote itself to the teaching of God's word if that church's primary goal is numerical growth. Obviously, our prayer as a church is that God would use us to make as many disciples as quickly as possible. But at the same time, we must make disciples by following God's instructions for disciple making, which reaps a harvest according to God's timeline. He's the one who saves people. And he gives us the joy and responsibility of sharing that good news with others. So there are all sorts of, if you think about it, there are all sorts of ways to grow a church or a ministry, but that doesn't mean that if a church is big, it's necessary health, necessarily healthy or God-honoring, right? There are healthy and God-honoring big churches, but size itself is not the uh, indicator of success. Growth in and of itself is not necessarily a healthy thing. Preaching God's word less in order to grow your church is not healthy or right. Instead, we must be faithful to keep the teaching of God's word central to our time together. Uh, and we must, as individuals, be loving sharers of God's good news to one another and to non-believers. And we have to be devoted to prayer as a church together and on our own as we submit our church to the Lord to serve his purposes for this time and place. And fourth, churches may not devote themselves to God's word because uh, those churches have bad teaching. Bad teaching can come in many different forms. There, there is a way to teach the Bible without ever teaching the Bible. And let me be, I really want, I should be careful about this. I do not want to come across like I'm an expert or perfect at this because I know that I'm flawed and I say things uh, that sometimes are inaccurate too. And forgive me for that. Um, if ever I say something that doesn't align with scripture, then throw that comment out, okay? Because ultimately all of us, our standard is, is God's word and not a person, okay? Um, that being said, there is a way to teach the Bible without ever teaching the Bible. If a Bible teacher uses a passage of scripture mainly as an on-ramp to talk about stories about him or herself or other issues going on, that's, that's a problem. Um, and I believe, hear me right, I believe illustrations in a sermon or in teachings can be extremely helpful, but it is critical that we don't become infatuated with illustrations and funny stories for the sake of illustrations and funny stories and entertainment. Um, it's critical when you're teaching that an illustration actually illustrates a point in the passage. Okay? The idea of using an illustration is how can I take what the Bible says and make it easier to understand for people. But when the Bible plays the background in our teaching so that a Bible teacher can come to the foreground and mainly talk about himself or herself, that's a problem. And our culture, though, eats that up. You get that? 
we love personas. We love famous people. And we get this confused. The church isn't like the world. That's not what our goal is. Not to be infatuated with how charismatic a person is or how cool they are. That's silliness. Okay? What you win people with is what you win them to. You hear that? I learned that in youth ministry. You win, if you win teenagers with flashy games and the coolest dunk tanks and all this stuff, you know why they're going to come back? If you have that every week. And if you don't, they're out of there. And you're missing the whole point because that's not really what you want. You want to win people with Christ because you want to win them to Christ. Amen. Right? <clears throat> also, bad teaching can come in the form of inaccurate teaching. It's very possible to teach an entire lesson on a passage of Scripture and not actually teach what that passage is saying. And so I, I just say this, if you're in a teaching role here, you, I want to help you and get tools into your hands however I can to educate yourself on the content of the Bible as well as the tools you, you can use to help interpret and apply the Bible correctly. Uh, you do have to consider, once you start teaching more, you have to consider things like the historical context of the Bible and the cultural context, the biblical context, the textual context, and the intent of the author. Um, those are important things. Now, a Christian doesn't need to know all those things in order to grow in Christ. However, if a Christian is going to teach the Bible, then the, those are the types of things you should be familiar with or try to learn more of because there's a lot of bad teaching out there on YouTube and iTunes and cable TV and in bookstores that really sounds right and it really sounds convincing and they've got 10,000 people in their church but it's actually incorrect and it's leading people away from God. One of my favorite quotes is by a godly man and author named Jerry Bridges and regarding, if you read anything, get anything you can by Jerry Bridges by the way, it's gold. Regarding the interpretation of Scripture, he says this, if it's new, then it's probably not true, and if it's true, then it's probably not new. In other words, you should be wary of anyone who says that the Holy Spirit has shown them something in Scripture that Christians have been getting wrong for centuries. Beware of any teaching or doctrine that hinges upon the meaning of one Hebrew or Greek word that we've been getting wrong for centuries. Beware of any new teaching that is different at all from the teaching of Jesus' apostles. If a teaching is not in alignment with what is clear in Scripture, then that is called unorthodox, heretical. That's not good. You want orthodox, established, proving teaching of the Bible. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1, 6-9 to this church that was beginning to follow bad teaching. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, he's talking about himself, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed, let him be condemned, sent to hell. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's strong language. Stick to the old road of the gospel, the old path. Don't venture off into the woods trying to discover something new. Some people are so infatuated with the journey that they don't want the answer. 
They're always looking for something else. Stick to the old road because the gospel of Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Four or five years ago, right around the time that I started as lead pastor here, I I saw a short three-minute video by one of my mentors, I guess you could say, Pastor John Piper, um, called Don't Waste Your Pulpit. And that video really impacted me, and it inspired me to want to preach and teach a certain way. And I want to just show you that three-minute video so that you can get a little insight into my desire for the preaching and teaching ministry of this church, as well as all the different branches of teaching that happens through our church. Let's, let's look at that. The best way to waste your pulpit is to uh, preach your own thoughts instead of preaching God's thoughts. I think pastors are fascinated by trends and fascinated by what the latest sociologist and latest psychologist and latest advertising scheme and latest computer and latest media are saying and and they think that'll be interesting that'll be interesting It, it is interesting but it's what people can find out anywhere what people won't find out anywhere else except in the pulpit is, what does God have to say? Bring God to bear, bring God's word to bear on every problem, whether it's what the media are saying or sociologists are saying or psychologists are saying, being radically Bible-saturated, not just Bible-based, like I'm gonna stand on the Bible and talk about other things, but being saturated with the Bible, explaining the Bible. The Bible really is not only Uh, wonderfully insightful. It is interesting. It's radically interesting. It blows your mind. If you take every sentence seriously and dig deep into the Bible, you'll find things that will simply boggle your mind, interest your people, change their lives, knock their ideas cuckoo. It's amazing what the Bible is. And I I don't know why pastors, many of them anyway, seem to find the Bible boring or unhelpful, or they just want to go there a little bit and then go somewhere else to interest the people. It just, why would you do that? Because the Bible is God's word. I mean, God speaks, quasars come into being. This is God's word. Indeed, I count everything as lost for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Jesus Christ is worth more than anything. Now, a pastor, how can you read that and not want to linger there and give reasons to your people? How can that be? And help your people come into the Pauline experience of saying, he's more valuable than anything. The Bible says so, and the Bible is true, and Paul experienced it. And we're going we're gonna to point them somewhere else? We're going to entertain them with little stories or point them to some kind of s- social discoveries when the Bible is power and truth. So don't waste your pulpit means stay close to the Bible, meditate on the Bible, go deep with the Bible, penetrate through the Bible to the living Christ, to the living God, and do it in such a way that your people are ignited with the truth of the Bible. Faith, which is what saves, comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Why would we want to do anything else than speak the Word of Christ? In his first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul says that the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And so, <clears throat> church family, it is, our, it is our duty and delight 
as the pillar of God's truth, what does a pillar do? Hold something up. We hold up God's truth. We hold up God's gospel, and we're not ashamed of it. We are Christ's ambassadors to the world, which means, again, we're not heralds of our own message. We're heralds of the message God has given to us. And with joy and gratitude, we celebrate this, that God so loved us that he sent his only son Jesus to die for us, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Trust Jesus today. If you're new here and haven't done that, or if you've been here 20 years and you haven't done that, believe in Jesus and be baptized. If you've done that, praise God and don't veer off the path. Stay close to our local church family as we stick together on this old road of the gospel of God's grace in his word.